Welcome to Voices of Experience on Kixie AM 880 and simulcast on KKNW 1150 AM. My name is Paul Casey, your host, and we have Eric Crema in the studio today. Welcome, Eric. You're going to be talking about facts you didn't know about Christmas. Yeah, you know, uh, this is the holiday special, right? Right. First, the first one out of the gate. So that's exciting. Um, I love today's show, and I'm happy to be part of it. Uh, throughout it, you're just going to cue me and say, hey, you know what? Give us a quick fact. Well, here's one to get us kicked off. Any idea where the largest, meaning the tallest, cut Christmas tree ever was installed? White House. No, no. It's in D.C. somewhere, but I think it came from the state of Washington. Close. It's from the state of Washington and in Washington. Listen to this. World's, this is Guinness World Book of Records. The world's tallest Christmas tree now, being a cut Christmas tree, was erected and decorated in Seattle, Washington, right there at the Northgate Shopping Center, 221 feet tall in 1950. That's when Northgate Shopping Center, I believe, opened up. It had Maybe that was their big celebration, but I had no idea. No, either did in I. In the world, of all in, time. In the world. That is fascinating. Love it. See, you're hitting the sweet spot of this show. <laughs> this is the stuff that I really like, that someone is in their car, maybe, or at home going... And someone's going to come home and go, did you know where the tallest yeah, Christmas this is tree stuff, was from? Yeah. I know something you don't. That's why I like to do <laughs> I that. couldn't believe it. That's Yeah, that's an amazing one. No idea. But, Eric, I'm going to say this, and um, to Eric Ryder, too. I've billed this show as the greatest Christmas story you've never heard. You will determine that, and the audience will determine that at the end, and we'll take it from there. But, essentially, it's about a fantasy flight that takes place in Spokane. I'm going to get into more detail about that in just a moment, so I'll just skip to the next part of the shows that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, Voices in History, something catastrophic occurred 81 years ago today, and about four hours ago, if you're looking at Seattle time, so about uh, 10.55 our time, Hmm. and it still affects us as American citizens today. Any idea? Wow, you got me on that one. Yeah, no clue. All right. So we're going to move on to that, and the audience will have to say, Uh, stay tuned. Yeah, there you go. get on with the show, I just want to insert some information for Voices of Experience and what we'll be doing for next year. Uh, Right now, you're hearing a holiday show, and you'll hear it coming up with what I've coined as the best Christmas story you have never heard. Well, this is the second time we've done it, and I hope you will agree with that at the end. We are taking a break until January 11th, 
we'll be back on the air with new shows. Our goal, as always, is to provide you with an informative blend of people with experience in their life in public affairs, travel, fitness, education, entrepreneurship, and now we've inserted some comedy clips, voices in history, and timeless music classics. If you have any suggestions for future shows and things that you would like to see us cover more of, call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166 and give your comments about uh, some of the things you enjoy and some of the things you would like to hear. Again, that number is 425-653-1166. Happy Holidays and Happy New Year. All right, let's just get to the greatest Christmas story you never heard of, and uh, we'll see if you agree as the show goes on. got into this on a fluke. Uh, in 2011, I was just looking to pick up a little extra flight time to for some Christmas money, and I saw this one-day trip uh, pop into open time that said fly to Spokane, and fly around Spokane, then fly back. I'm like, what is this? Well, I picked it up, and the day prior, I had an email sent to me saying I was doing the Spokane fantasy flight. I had no idea what it was. Uh, so I started doing some research and found out it was for children. It was, it was for a charity. And once I showed up, when I met Carol. That was the first time I actually really met Carol and talked to her, and she briefed me on what was going to be going on. You were going, what? We pulled in, and uh, we brought the plane over. We pulled in. When we walked into the terminal, you know, half the kids have already gone through security, and it is walking into a fantasy land. I was speechless. I was all right, so that's a little bit of um, a pilot who pilots this program for Alaska Airlines, and his name is Eric Rickvac, Ricknack, rather. And we're going to get into him and more what he has to say, but I just wanted to do that introduction of him to get the show kind of rolling. But um, I want to give you a little bit of background on what he was talking about. A couple of days from now, December 9th, a very special event will be taking place around mid-afternoon in Spokane. Buses and limos will be going around to various group homes, or as they used to be referred to as orphanages and foster homes, to be picking up a total of 60 children ages 4 to 10. The limos and the buses will then converge at the same destination, Spokane International Airport. Now picture this, all these buses and limos have picked up with 60 children. There they will be escorted to a special location and receive passports for the North Pole and other gifts as well. When they're all there assembled, they will then board an Alaska Airlines Flight 737 jet, dubbed Santa One. One or two adult elves is assigned to each child. Here's a detail to show how serious the circumstances are for some of these kids. 
Um, some of the children on the flight are in protective custody, and uh, they wear yellow shirts. Mm. So that says you cannot take these kids' pictures. So that's what we're talking about. Wow. So now the Alaska Airlines jet will taxi down the runway and take off into the sky for about 20 to 30 minutes. At some point, the window shades will be pulled down, and then they'll wave their magic wand that they received getting on the plane, and now they're into North Pole airspace. The pilot will deploy, who we just heard, the jet engines and the thrusters to kind of say, we got to speed up to catch Santa, and it kind of goes into the air <laughs> a little bit more with a greater rate of speed. And then Santa One Flight enters the North Pole airspace. The jetliner then turns back to Spokane International Airport. It lands, and it taxis to a hangar which is far away from where they took off. So now, literally, they think they're in the North Pole. They come off the plane, and then they um, are welcomed to the North Pole with a lights from a fire truck, and it says, Welcome to the North Pole. More elves and reindeer greet them. I mean, real reindeer are in there. They walk them into this huge hangar, <laughs> but they are tunneled in. They don't know it looks like a hangar because it's all decked out. A huge Christmas tree is there, and there are presents. And all the kids leading up to this have been asked what they want for Christmas. Those presents are there. They on Santa's lap. They're going through what they want for Christmas. I want a bike. Mm-hmm. Santa says, go around the Christmas tree there, and there's your bike. <laughs> and so all the kids go through that, and um, their gifts, again, are pre-selected there. So they have a wonderful night. Then the limos pick all the kids up and take them back to their group home or foster home, and their gift will be in their room waiting for them when they get there. So uh, Mike Flynn, an award-winning former publisher of the Pugetstown Business Journal, and he's now the um, host of what's called his blog, Finn's, Flynn's Harp. And he told me about this a few years ago, and uh, I just had to jump on it. And Mike has been writing about this for about 10 years. He recently hosted an event at the Columbia Tower Club, which I went to. And Steve Paul, or Elf Bernie, during this time, he is the CEO of the Northwest North Pole Adventures. And there's a Carol Scallion who was there, and she's a Alaska Airlines flight attendant for 55 years. She's been doing this for mm. 25 years. And then there's Eric Rindvak, who I just, uh, you heard his voice just a few moments ago. He's been piloting this adventure to the North Pole for over 10 years. I spoke with each. Let's start with Eric. How did you connect with, I, my first question to him is how he connected with this fantasy flight. And then I talked to Carol, and she'll talk about her involvement. There are two outs in the bottom of the ninth. Base is loaded. The Seattle Mariners trail the L.A. Dodgers by three runs in Game 7 of the World Series. Who would you rather see step up to the plate? Mitch Hanniger or a promising but yet untested player just called up from the minors? If Mitch Hanniger is your choice, that means experience is important to you. That's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. Topics explored including public affairs, self-employment, travel, health and fitness, history, and 
adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. Well, Paul, I I got into this on a fluke. Uh, In 2011, I was just looking to pick up a little extra flight time for some Christmas money, and I saw this one-day trip uh, pop into open time that said fly to Spokane and fly around Spokane then fly back. I'm like, what is this? Well... I picked it up, and the day prior, I had an email sent to me saying I was doing the Spokane Fantasy Flight. I had no idea what it was. Uh, so I started doing some research and found out it was for children. It was, it was for a charity. And once I showed up, I met Carol. That was the first time I actually really met Carol and talked to her, and she briefed me on what was going to be going on. You were going, what? We pulled in, and uh, we brought the plane over. We pulled in. When we walked into the terminal, you know, half the kids have already gone through security, and it is walking into a fantasy land. I was speechless. I was overcome uh, to a point where th- this was my first time doing it. I didn't know what to do with the kids. I just sat back and watched and couldn't interact. I, I mean, I was overwhelmed by what was going on. So then when we, uh, on the fly, um, I decided to come up with a little flight profile to make it fun. And that actually got recorded on CNN and it went worldwide. And it, it, it catches... Uh, my, my relatives saw it in England, actually, that one. Yeah, I had friends uh, over in Europe and yeah. over in the Middle East that saw it, too. It went CNN International. So once we got to the North Pole and they opened up the doors and I saw what they did and what the effect it had on the kids, I made it my mission to try to get this trip every year. What has this done for you spiritually, I guess? I mean, this must just be a phenomenal gift to be able to do this and and to find this. And Carol, how did you get involved? One of my nieces, it was a flight attendant for United, and they used to do it in Seattle. And, uh, but they only taxied around the gate. But it was making the kids happy, gifts, all the rest of it. When Alaska began this, and I've done every one of them except over COVID, I signed up and then got my friends to do it as well. We've had a blast ever since. It's been very emotional. My kids have never gone without. They've never, they've had lots of wants, but they've never had a need. These kids have needs. Bernie will say, it's believe. Believe there's a better day, a better time ahead. Some of the kids wore a yellow T-shirt. Well, those were the children who were in uh, protective custody, and we weren't allowed to take photographs of them. The joy of, of getting new pajamas, of getting a pillow and a blanket and a book, their very own things. Some kids say, well, can I take an extra one for my little sister? It, it just not knowing where they're going to sleep at night. But how long are you up in the air, actually? We usually average between 25 to 30 minutes. It just depends. We're, we're trying to do a timing with the North Pole. So uh, they give us a, hey, we'd like you there at this time. And if we had to de-ice or whatever, we might cut it a little bit short. But it's a t- about 25-minute flight on average. The kids are singing. We're throwing snowballs. They've got, and we start a chant, take me home, take me home to the North Pole. The elves have been down here for vacation, and now they have to go home to help Santa prepare for the holidays the rest of the way. Santa's in front. Yes. Yes. We're following, we are following Santa, Santa the North Pole. Yes. Okay. We are in Santa's space. We're in North Pole airspace. So we're not in Spokane airspace anymore. It's magic. 
So then we land. And, and the control tower at Spokane is in on everything. Of course. So they call us Santa One. Uh, they call us the North Pole. And most of the time we're able to do over the speaker where we can tell them the ATC calls, Santa One, you are now cleared to land at the North Pole. And we usually broadcast that in the back. Yeah. Kids love it. Love they hear it. it. And then when we park, they've got the red carpet there with all the elves and the, the soldiers that are dressed up in those old Christmas yeah. outfits. And, and they walk out, and it, it's unbelievable. They open up the doors, and it's the North Pole. And oh. then the, the fire department have a yellow fire truck, which is parked outside. That has North Pole air, um, fire department all lit up, and then a Santa sleigh is up on top. You know, it's just amazing to say a story like this, to just imagine what it would be to be a child and go through something like this. Is there anybody who's come back and, uh, you know, said, hey, this changed my life? And two years ago, we had people that were helping out volunteers that were children that did the fantasy flight. I came back and did the fantasy flight, and it did make a difference for them. Anything else? Uh, For me, uh, I've been flying for 35 years, uh, 22 years with Alaska Airlines, and this is the most impactful thing I do every year. I I try, I mean, I've already got a line of pilots trying to find this trip for me in the next week and they're going to give it to me uh, if they can um, but it, it's it's kind of a it's emotional. well it's selfish on my part what I get out of it you want to say I'm doing it for the children or whatever what it really does is it gives me the, the opportunity to work with this group of volunteers that are from all walks of life and, and everyone's a volunteer we come together to put on this special event for the children. It's exhausting. It's emotionally exhausting. But at the end of the day, it gives me faith in humanity again. But it, it really it, it resets me for the next year of we're going to make it as humanity. We've got we, If we do stuff like this and spread it to everyone, we can get through our troubles. You know, I would have to agree with you there. This is such an amazing story. People knew about this, and it would... I would say for your position, when you say for what it does for you, it does restore your faith in humanity. And as Eric says, it just fills you up, and you just want to you want to take some of these kids home with you, and just they want to cuddle you. They they're wonderful. I mean, it's dancing in the terminal, seeing them joy on their face. It's it's really special. It's what it's my Christmas. They have a whole program for the kids. The kids go shopping and they get new shoes, they get school supplies, they get jammies, all sorts of good stuff. And then at the end, they sit down with um, Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus and she reads the Polar Express. Once that's been read and the kids get a book each, then Santa goes to bed, he's tired, and it's over with. So what they have then is a tunnel with kind of strobe lights and the kids go through it and they're back at Volcan and then there's buses and limos that take them back to their facilities wherever they're staying. Okay, so thank you very much for that. We're going to go right into the next segment of this and that is um, Elf Bernie, the founder of this. I want to ask him the same questions. How did he get involved with this? So I happened to live in the neighborhood with a flight attendant from Alaska, and I approached him and said, listen, is there any connection you have to Alaska? And he says, I have the senior marketing director. So I gave him a call, explained who I was, told him what we were liking to do, and his response was, give me an hour. In less than an hour, I got a phone call back and said, Alaska, we'll partner and we will fly. And that was 15 years ago. Alaska's commitment is deep. Um, our volunteers each year fly in from almost every station that Alaska now has around the country. 
to uh, BLs and to support. We have volunteers flying in to just help build the North Pole. They're using, I don't know, travel credits just to fly in to help us build and then pack it away after the event. So I wasn't surprised at all. There was not any apprehension or a thought that that wasn't going to happen. Uh, we are now a $200,000 a year event uh, to do this. And that is not including a charter and an aircraft hangar and everything else. We are the best kept secret, and there is magic in that. Um, as an organization growing, this has been our best donation year ever. We've never had a year as good as this one. And we've never had as many challenges as we've had this year with businesses either failing from the pandemic or um, not as available uh, to donate as they were uh, pre-pandemic. Well, it's my Christmas. I mean, I have loved this from the beginning and just to see the happiness on the kids' faces and playing with them and giving them joy and seeing for, you know, a few hours that they are children. They're safe and um, I don't know why I get so emotional over this. It's a big part of my life. Carol promised to me she wouldn't cry. <laughs> You're going to make me cry. Again, these kids don't ever get even get mail. And so we have a special elf delivery envelope with their name and a stamp that's canceled from the North Pole to invite them to this. So we've, we've set up the stage. And then the buses transport them to there. I meet them, take them to the airport to meet their own elf. Every child has at least one elf. Any, as Carol said, have two. Uh, and then from there, the adventure happens through the end of the night after the story. Then they depart. A little bit more magic happens because they've received huge colored bags uh, full of items. The bags go out one door. The children go out the magic transporter that takes them back to Spokane, and there are limos, limousines waiting, that take them back to that central shelter. Meanwhile, that gift delivery route is going directly to their shelter. So by the time the limos get to the base shelter and then the buses take them to their home shelter, the gifts are waiting for them and have been delivered. So the children have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. We track them, and they are 4 to 10. We actually have a, what we call fantasy flight siblings. And so from a family unit that happens to have siblings uh, under 14 or so that we would prefer not attend because it's a, it's a long adventure to kind of be that old, um, we actually gift them a Santa gift, and it arrives with their siblings in a magic bag that's tied to theirs. What are the criteria for choosing, choosing the children? Well, that's the best news of all, is by working with the social agencies, I have no skills. If you bring me children who want to go to the North Pole, they all get to go. So I'm the worst judge of who to get to do that. So we use the social agencies, and we actually just say, bring us the kids that really just need a break. They need a good Christmas. I will give you one short story, uh, which is a tribute uh, to my best friend, Eric. Is I was approached by a social agency that they had uh, a young man uh, that was uh, approaching the age limit that needed, needed to come to the fantasy flight. I said, well, let's certainly wait for the registrations, make sure that if he's going to be 11, that's a, and like, well, he's a little immature, but he's really had a bad time said, okay, let's wait. Well, it came to the final days, and the social worker came to me, and she said, please, he needs something, something to happen good for him. 
without HIPAA violations, basically, he was court removed by the state from all family, all family, father's family, mother's family, uncles, grandparents. He was removed from all family relations. When he was removed in the courtroom, they were all on one side, he was on the other with his social worker. That's the only people in the room. She said, I have never seen a room of more than 60 people and not one tear except from the boy. So she said, he needs this. So I said, okay. So we get him into the event. Um, I talked to the social worker a little bit more and I said, so give me a little bit of how we can make this special for him. And he said, well, he has convinced that this has happened. He's adult enough to understand and appreciates it, she said. But he thinks all his dreams are gone. He has no hopes. And I said, well, what are some of his hopes? She said his one hope had been, deep breath, I want to be a pilot. So I smiled at her and I said, I'm going to make his life. So we get to the airport. I pull red shirt aside and say, listen, I got a special case for you. I said, this little boy doesn't think it's going to happen, and he wants to be a pilot. And the only words I heard were, I got this. Rest of the story all happens. It's all done. I get a phone call two weeks later from the social worker. She says, I don't know what you did. She said, his school teachers said he's now standing up in class. And he is telling everyone, I'm going to be a pilot. So again, that's Steve Paul, otherwise known as Chief Elf. And um, then I asked him, how many people or kids who've gone through this program, how many of them have come back or do you ever see them again? A lot of the kids who've been doing this for over the years have people come back, like the ones that you talk about, come back and say the impact it had on their lives. Yes, we have actually have two. We've had one elf that returned uh, two years as an escort elf. She had attended as a child. And we had a gentleman who is running our sound equipment. He was uh, in the foster program, actually aged out of the foster program, had to live on the streets, and has gotten his life back together and is now our sound engineer. All right, so my thanks to Steve Paul there and Connie Scallion and, of course, Eric Ripnack. And uh, thank you so much for doing that. And uh, if you want to find out more about this program, you can visit their website, which is nwnorthpole.org, nwnorthpole.org, all one word. Hope I didn't overbill that, but (laughs) I really don't think I did. But we'll find out. I hope you enjoyed it anyhow. Eric, I'm anxious to see if you can top your first factoid. Well, here, kind of interesting. This one's called It's Finger Licking Good. Christmas in Japan means to have KFC. In Japan, it's a tradition to eat KFC for Christmas. Matter of fact, they need to place orders in advance at least two months in advance. That's how much of a tradition that is. And then when I read that and saw the picture, wow. what did I want to do? Go to KFC and get some chicken because yeah. it did look pretty delicious. <laughs> <laughs> How about another one? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So in Poland, spiders or spider webs are common in, to see on Christmas trees as decorations because according to legend, 
a spider wove a blanket for the baby Jesus. In fact, Polish people consider spiders to be symbols of goodness and prosperity around Christmas time. I found this one kind of interesting with Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Um, he, he, the reindeer, first appeared in 1939 when Montgomery Ward Department Store, do you remember the Montgomery Ward? I Wards? sure do. Uh, asked one of its copywriters. So this is one of those things where the employee does the, you know, does the job and then really doesn't get any credit. But asked one of the, their copywriters, could you come up with a Christmas story that we could give away to shoppers? So Robert L. May, 34 years old, came up with the entire coloring book about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And um, so they, they basically produced this and gave away 2.4 million copies of this Rudolph story the very first year. Wow. So they were using good. it as a promotional. And then, Can you of imagine course, they it became, had social media then? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But then it became a hit. Ah, and suddenly, okay. obviously, now everybody knows the story of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I do now. Uh, let's find one more final one on this at this time. Um, because I was, I was worried, uh, one not worried, wondering about um, mistletoe and where it all came to be. So ancient people, such as the Druids, considered mistletoe sacred because it remains uh, remains green and bears fruit during the winter when all other plants around them appeared to die. Druids would cut the plant with golden sickles and never let it touch the ground. Hence, it has to be up. They thought it ha- also had the power to cure infer- uh, infertility and nervous diseases and also ward off evil. So against, in a sense, you're sharing the power of the mistletoe by kissing under it. See, everybody, you wouldn't know this unless Eric <laughs> was sitting here today. I had no idea. Go into the Google. I'm going to do just two quick Christmas jokes before we get into some comments that I asked people to call the Voices of Experience hotline, and they generously did. And these are, and I asked them what their favorite uh, Christmas movie was, holiday movie, whatever you want to say, but um, I'll get to that in just a second. Here, here's a couple uh, jokes, Christmas jokes. Who is the Christmas tree's favorite singer? Favorite singer, Christmas. Who is the Christmas tree's favorite singer? I'm starting to feel like Ed McMahon over here. Exactly. I, I was thinking <laughs> the same thing. Could it be Brenda Lee? I mean, she was rocking around the Christmas oh, tree. Oh, there you go. Ah, uh, No? Yeah. Eric, you're so off. <laughs> Sorry. That's <laughs> all okay. I got. <laughs> Good one. Bruce. Springsteen. Oh, of course. Yes. There you go. Since that was such a hit, I'm going to do one more. And um, what do you call an obnoxious reindeer? What do you call an obnoxious reindeer? Thank you, Ed. Go. <laughs> I don't know. Rudolph. Oh, Rudolph. Rudolph. Sure, of course. All right. So <laughs> let's get Rudy. with the first couple of uh, comments on their favorite Christmas movie. This is Pat Cashman. I'd have to say my favorite holiday movie was It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, yeah. But that's the obvious one. So less obvious is one called Jack Frost. It was made in 1998. Not the Jack Frost made the previous year, which was a horror movie. The Jack Frost I'm talking about was a horrible movie. The premise is a dad doesn't spend much time with his kid. He gets in an auto accident. The dad does dies and comes back not as a ghost but as a snowman and then he tries to make things right by his kid before he melts hello this is dory borgeson i'm the dean of the college of veterinary medicine at washington state university 
and I'd like to share with you my favorite holiday movie and why. So my favorite holiday movie is The Snowman by Raymond Briggs. That was the book. It's focused on magic. It's animated. It has an amazing music score. It's timeless. It's the wonder of Christmas with the kids' imagination. It's moving. And I think most importantly, it was my daughter's favorite, so it became a tradition for us to watch it, and then it clearly became my favorite. So I still love The Snowman and love, um, and love the book that it was written by, too. All right. Thank you so much. And yes, you're free to use my answer. Take care. I'm glad uh, Dory said you're free to use (laughs) my answer because uh, we did, Dory. But uh, thank you for that. And of course, Pat, thank you for going a little bit off the rails here. We asked the best Christmas movie, (laughs) but he gives the worst. But it tells me if I had another show this year, I would probably do that. But um, he's the host of Peculiar Broadcast or a podcast. What do you expect? Thank you, Pat. And they uh, do a great show with uh, Lisa Foster. And again, it's called Peculiar Podcast. And Dory uh, Borgeson, the dean of WSU uh, Vet School, thank you for that. So uh, we're going to move on to Voices in History. And I asked both of you a hint for this one, but you guys just didn't uh, swung and missed on it, you know. So let's get into Voices in History for today. All right, here it is. At 7.55 a.m. on December 7th, 1941, oh. about four hours ago, Japanese dive bomber bearing the red symbol of the rising sun of Japan descended on the island of Oahu, followed by a swarm of 360 Japanese warplanes. Of course. Five of eight battleships, three destroyers, and seven other ships were sunk or severely damaged. More than 200 airplanes were destroyed. A total of 2,400 Americans were killed. Fortunately, all three Pacific aircraft carriers were out at sea on training maneuvers. Mm. Now, had they been in the harbor, that war could have been very different a very different outcome. It certainly would have gone longer. Sure. Because a year later, that's when the, um, the, at least the Pacific fleet that we were able to send out with those aircraft carriers, you know, really um, was able to turn the war around by their win at Midway against theirs. Mm. So... It was uh, the day that lived in infamy. That's right. I tried to do my Roosevelt earlier today. It didn't work. Um, and the, just one, I think, interesting thing that uh, has really a more of something we should you know think about in terms of a more local focus to this. The morning of December 7th, a United States Navy radio station located on Bainbridge Island. Wow. Intercepted a message from Tokyo. The message instructed the Japanese ambassador to break off ongoing peace negotiations with the U.S. But his true purpose was to inform the ambassador that Japanese forces were about to attack Pearl Harbor. By the time this message was delivered to the U.S. Secretary of State, the attack had begun. Oh, my goodness. Didn't know that. So that's uh, 81 years ago today Hmm. that occurred. I remember it well. Anyhow, my dad did, of course. He was uh, actually stationed in Hawaii oh after, after the attack. Um, on December 6, 1884, the Washington Monument was completed. On July 4, 1848, the Monument Cornerstone was laid with a portion of George Washington newspapers and other memorabilia. Attending the ceremony was a little-known U.S. congressman from Illinois, Abraham Lincoln. I didn't know that. I knew about the Washington Monument being built sometime in the 1800s. 
What I didn't know is why did it take 36 years to complete? In 1854, the structure was about 150 feet tall, funds ran low, and work came to a standstill. We're also entering the era of the South and the North, prequel to the Civil War, so there was a lot of not an appetite for this. Mm. But uh, spurred by the 100th anniversary of America's founding in 1886, President Grant authorized federal funding to finish the monument. Work resumed, and in 1888, the monument opened to the public, standing at 555 feet. Just think of the space needle. It's about 50 feet short of that, uh, that tall. Mm-hmm. And um, didn't know this. It was the world's tallest structure until it was surpassed by the Eiffel Tower just the following year. Oh, my God. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's great. So uh, one final one on a more local level. On December 5th, 1974, Seattle was awarded an NFL football franchise. Two years later, the Seattle Seahawks started their opening season just months after the Kingdome opened up. I remember watching those games on the 12-inch black and white. That's about where it was at that time. Yeah. I was wondering, were all the Seattle Seahawks games televised in, let's say, the mid-'70s when they opened up? I just can't remember. I I remember seeing some, and eventually they were. I just wondered if they all were. Like Mariners, when they started, heck, I think they had like eight games televised a year. Yeah, I'm not sure, but uh, I certainly remember being in my room watching it on, again, my black-and-white television. Hey, speaking of sort of dates, I've got some Christmas things revolve around dates. Let's see if either one of you can figure this out. What, which U.S. state was the first to officially recognize Christmas? U.S. state. Connecticut. You say Connecticut? New York. No, Alabama. Wow. Alabama was the first state in the United States to officially recognize Christmas in 1836. How about the last one? Hawaii. Alaska. Oklahoma. <laughs> Oklahoma. Oklahoma wow. was the last U.S. U.S. state to declare Christmas a legal holiday, 1907. I'll be darned. As goes cool. Alabama, so goes <laughs> so Oklahoma. Goes, so eventually. Eventually. <laughs> yes. That surprises um, me. I would have thought Oklahoma would be way up there because religious and all that, but that could be a stereotype. I don't know. Yeah. I, it but it kind of blew me away. Yep. Uh, here's kind of an interesting factoid. President Teddy Roosevelt. A known environmentalist banned Christmas trees from the White House in 1901. Oh my gosh! So no environmentalist at the at that. Well, he always kind of was. Well, sure, so that's amazing. That's what yeah. he's known for. Duh. But it's but even that to this day, remarkable. it's a big deal to have the White House. You know, the Christmas tree. But he in the White banned House. it. Yeah. Ah, interesting. I'll tell you. This show, you just learn so much. That's really good. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, you're going to learn. Right. <laughs> going on there. Hey, let's play a few more of the uh, sound clips we have from people regarding um, their favorite Christmas movie. For pure fun, I would go with Elf or Home Alone. But in terms of conveying a message for the holiday season, I've got to go with a movie I discovered purely by accident while channel surfing late one night in the early 1980s. And I've probably seen it another 35 or 40 times since then because the message that it conveys, that a seemingly ordinary but well-lived life can have positive and profound influences on those around us is just unbeatable. I'm going with Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. Hi, this is Doug Pika, and I would say my favorite holiday movie would probably be a toss-up between White Christmas and It's a Wonderful Life. White Christmas, because of the I don't know, nostalgia for the holidays, the the music, the dancing, wonderful. 
Um, and of course, it's a wonderful life, I think, because someone even the deepest, darkest hours of despair, there's still a great story there of hope and gratitude for all of our blessings. Happy holidays. Our favorite Christmas movie, which we watch every Christmas after the kids are in bed, is the 1994 version of Miracle on 34th Street. The, the heartwarming ups and downs encountered in this timeless classic never gets old. Six-year-old Susan Walker, who is played by an amazing, cute little actress, is always leaves a smile on our face. This is definitely a superb, feel-good Christmas holiday classic. Thank you. All right. Thank you to all of those so far. We still have a few more coming up. Um, the first one, Greg Witter. I am with him on that. I think my favorite Christmas movie is A Wonderful Life. And, of mm -hmm. course, uh, Doug said that as well. And uh, Rob, Miracle on 34th Street. I'm familiar with the one from 1947. I'm talking about uh, Miracle on 34th Street with uh, Natalie Wood and Maureen O'Hara. Yeah. That was a great one. But Anyhow, I'd have to go with A Wonderful Life, and I did watch it last night, and boy, it it Holds is up. just so good. And the thing is, I didn't ever really watch Wonderful Life till maybe 15 years ago. I saw snippets of it, oh, okay. but I never watched the whole thing. I don't know. When I saw the snippets of it, it just didn't appeal to me that much. But then I sat down and watched the whole, whole thing, and I've just been such a big fan since, yeah. and it never gets old. Yep. How about you? I I'm with you on It's a Wonderful Life, Eric. That's a great movie. I I like a movie called Rare Exports. Uh, that's wow. a it's a Finnish movie. It's Rare Exports, a Christmas tale. Came out in 2010, and it's really a, a great movie. It's funny, kind of weird, <laughs> but uh, it, you can't get more Christmas. Uh, than them capturing Santa Claus. So, uh, <laughs> is that what it is? Rare oh, exports. okay. That's the rare export. <laughs> yep. Santa Claus. I got. I got to check ask that out. About that. So uh, we have some more coming up. How about some more factoids? Do you have more? Absolutely. So um, Christmas purchases are important to our economy. But did you know that one sixth of the retail sales occur in the U.S. around Christmas time? That's how much shopping goes on. I'm not shocked at that. But I nonetheless, a little bit was but. okay. I'm not. Let's say I'm surprised, but I'm not like going because hey, it starts at Black Friday, yeah, and whatever. Yeah. And you got this anyhow. But and it go seems ahead. to be getting earlier, doesn't it? Yes. Um, many of the most popular Christmas songs, such as "White Christmas," "Winter Wonderland," Christmas song meaning chestnuts roasting on an open fire, as we all know it, "Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer," and "I'll Be Home from Christmas," were either written or co-written by Jews. There you go. So that's kind of interesting. Um, a lot of them also are behind in terms of producing and writing and acting in some of our favorite movies. So even though they may not celebrate, you know, Christmas uh, wholeheartedly, it's it's uh, interesting that they're involved in some of the biggest traditions. That you know, in terms of the songs and carols that we sing, I think I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, Tiny Tim and Charles Dickinson's classic novella, A Christmas Carol, was almost named by him Little Fred. So <laughs> that have changed. Someone called Little Fred. Little Fred. Yeah, never would have worked. But, you just think we never would have. Well, somebody red pinned that Tiny one. Tiny Fred. Little Fred. <laughs> Little Fred. Was Fred? Oh, I the see. Ghost the or Tiny <laughs> Tim? No, Tiny or? Tim. Instead, Instead of Tiny of, Tim, it was going to be Little Fred. Never would have worked. I kind of like telling it. You. Right. We'll try it. God That's bless us, guys. <laughs> I'm little Fred. Where do snowmen keep their money? Where do snowmen keep their money? 
Well, they don't have pockets. I don't know. In a snowbank. Oh, okay. <laughs> ah, there you go. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> okay. Um, did I say this one already? What's every else favorite type of music? Every else favorite type of music. Uh, Christmas tunes, I guess. I don't know. Rap. Oh, <laughs> sure. There you go. Sure. W. Right. <laughs> rap with a W. I'm glad you... Um, you know, made that clear now, because you're going to go rap. We're almost into now? this window on this factoid I'm going to give you right Please here. Please do. According to data analyzed from Facebook posts, two weeks before Christmas is one of the two most popular times for couples to break up. So be aware, next two weeks here. Save on presents. <laughs> However, if you can make it to Christmas Day, it's. I'm going to go right past that, Eric. <laughs> However, if Scrooge. you can you can make it to Christmas Day, that's the least favorite day for a breakup. Maybe it's the present. I don't know. Yeah, I think once you get that present, it's hard to say bye. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Unless it's a horrible one. <laughs> so Have you ever gotten we... a bad gift? Maybe that's of the course. question. That would be see another one. You bet. Um, how about a couple more of these uh, favorite Christmas movies? Paul, hi. It's Kay White. My favorite Christmas film is Elf because there's so much stress during the Christmas season, and Elf just makes you laugh and get over and break up all the stress. Thanks a lot, and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Bye-bye. Hi there, Paul. This is Constance. I know you wanted a favorite movie for the Christmas holidays, but I'm one of these people that love the stage, and so I'm choosing Black Nativity, which is usually held at Intamon Theater, and the reason I like it is because it has all of the spirituals that I enjoy around Christmas, as well as some of the Martin songs around uh, Christmas as well. And so Black Nativity is my favorite, and I like it because it reminds me of my history, and it also aligns uh, with the biblical time of Jesus' birth. Thank you. Wow. Very good. Thank you for that, Constance. Uh, I want to mention Kay White the person who talked about Elf. I met her when she was on the Murrow Professional Advisory Board, and she lives in Florida now, but just one little uh, information about her and history. She was the first woman to work at CBS television. She was a graduate of Washington State maybe in the um, 50s, but the one to have a professional job, the first one. Then, of course, that's Constance Rice and... uh, Talked about Black Nativity at the Intamon Theater. I actually looked it up. Unfortunately, there are no tickets left for that, so it obviously is quite popular. But I also found out there is a movie called um, Black Nativity, Nativity, and it um, stars Forrest Whitaker, um, Angela Bassett, and Jennifer Hudson. So you can look at that from 2013. All right, some more facts. Yeah, um, so we talked about uh, Charles Dickens in uh, Christmas Carol. Uh, he loved Christmas, and, but what was amazing, it only took him six weeks to write a Christmas Carol. And how many times has that been made to a movie? I mean, it, that or a variation thereof. Yeah, it's well, almost that's like, stunning. Yeah, that is amazing. There's got to be like 50 versions of it at absolutely, least. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, it's estimated, speaking of versions and how many copies were sold, it's estimated that the single White Christmas by Ber- Irving Berlin is the best-selling single of all time. 100 million copies sold worldwide. Wow. 
most of that Bing Crosby. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Uh, from uh, Washington State, right? Yeah, born in Tacoma, raised in Spokane, I believe. That mm-hmm. is correct. That's yep. correct. Yep. Went to yep. Gonzaga. Uh, here's an interesting one. Santa Claus initially, Santa Claus wore different colored robes. And I think if you if you look back in some of the older photos and things like that or read stories uh, about Santa Claus, you may see him in a, 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 a blue robe or, you know, different colors. Uh, but it wasn't until the late 1800s hundreds that he was first portrayed in a promotion for the Coca-Cola company uh, to wear an outfit in the red suit that we all mm. know now. So it's interesting that that and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, I guess when they say Christmas is getting commercialized, <laughs> it's well, always been commercialized. There right? you go. Maybe it's, you, know, <laughs> you look back, it's been commercialized. I had no idea. So the red suit came from Coca-Cola. Yeah. And when you think about it, you might have seen that 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 image. It's I him actually holding a, a bottle, yes. the bottle of yes. Coca-Cola. Absolutely. And there he is in his full red suit, big jolly guy with the white beard. You know, when I traveled through Africa, not South Africa, remote parts, I was struck at Coca-Cola, that logo. It's probably, no, mm. I would have to say it is the most recognizable logo in the world. Yes. I mean, seriously, what else do you see that can even come close to that? But we would go through remote villages. Coca-Cola, there was a sign every village, wherever you were at. That's wow. the only sign that would be there. Hmm. And that really struck me yes. as to their reach yeah. that they had at, at that point and, huh. um, and still does. And what would be the biggest marketing disaster in the history of marketing? Oh, that's, I know this, uh, New Coke. You got it. Yeah, when they that's came it. out with New Coke. But people then think maybe it's the most brilliant. Because I remember right. that. I remember trying New Coke and being really disappointed. And then, remember, there was a, a movement. Everybody demanded yes. they go back. I mean, you can't buy that kind of publicity. But do you think that was it? Do you think that Either was Either it was just smart. a stroke of luck or was it planned? That's, there's a big debate in advertising as to that, you know, with because when you think about it, then everybody rushed out and they demanded the the old the classic Coke, and then they started branding it as classic Coke. All I, I know is I drank a lot of Coke that year. Right. <laughs> I, unfortunately, I never you know gotten a lot of soft drinks, but I, I you, you never know. But I don't think so. You don't I think, think so? I would you know if I did something like that, I'd say, hey, this was all a strategy. <laughs> this was all something Somebody's that I was a job thinking there. about, you know, and that's what I was doing all along, guys. And then I'd be writing books and making a lot of money. Now, here's an interesting fact, Doyd. Christmas shopping. It's estimated that one in three men used to, but no longer, wait until Christmas Eve to do their shopping. Now, I think with online, it's a lot easier. Right. Right? But do you wait that long? Do well, you, you wait? can't wait till Christmas Eve, because no. even with Prime, you're not going to get not it gonna by get Christmas it. Day. <laughs> but I have been at the mall on Christmas Eve. As, as have I. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, That's yes, a very yes, panicky yes. time, isn't it? It's, no, it's, it's not real, fun. It's you do that maybe once or twice. And you're... The mall will be closing <laughs> yeah. in 30 minutes. Oh, no. <laughs> well, now they're open at like 10 or something, but still it's 5 to 10. Oh, God, I got to get going. Mom could use an Orange Julius <laughs> yes. this year. I think we're Drink getting rambling on here we a little are. bit, but hey. It's okay, but I just want to make sure, Eric, you're the time guy, and we got to get on our one-hit wonder. Not well, not the one-hit wonder anymore. Timeless, timeless classic, classic. yeah. Uh, Christmas. So, uh, how are we doing? Well, uh, we we've got a couple more uh, movie Christmas greetings. That, Please uh, do that. Makes sense to get okay, in. Let's and... do that, and maybe I'll do a joke, and then we'll get on to it. How Sounds good.
Frank Furino. My favorite Christmas movie of all time is the Alastair Sim, A Christmas Carol, released in 1951 by United Artists. Black and white, it just isn't Christmas for me without that movie. Again, Alastair Sim, A Christmas Carol. Merry Christmas, everyone. Hi, in terms of favorite Christmas story, which is the request, it uh, would be a Christmas movie, apologies. It would be a Christmas story for four reasons. One is that, like Ralphie, a lot of us who are senior citizens can appreciate the calculation that goes into getting the present you want on Christmas. Second is the father uh, in the movie and the mother behaved very much like my parents would have under similar circumstances, ranging from grumpy to protective. Third is that when you're thinking of Christmas, when I was growing up, if you were the oldest in a large family, which I was the oldest of seven, at one point you become the non-believer and therefore become an indentured service as an elf. And that definitely happened to me. And uh, those are some of my fonder memories. And the last one is I thought that the movie was uh, ending in Chinese food was apropos of a lot of us who would prefer not to be bothered with a lot of uh, preparations on Christmas and looking for some type of expediency in terms of diet. So thank you for asking. Happy holidays. So that was uh, Frank Farino, and that was the first one on uh, the Christmas Carol. And uh, I tend to agree with him on the fact that the um, the one that he liked was made in 1951. I think that is the best Christmas Carol. And the last one was my cousin Tom Casey. And um, he was on his way to Peru when he gave me uh, his insights on the Christmas story. And, of course, that is a great one, too. I just uh, wanted to mention some other Christmas uh, movies I've seen. Just got through, I said, watching Wonderful Life. Probably be watching Scrooge with Bill Murray. Love that show. Uh, Love Actually. I think people like that or they don't. I happen to really like it. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great Christmas movie. How about you? Before we go? Uh, Just one real quick one. Uh, We've gotten into this the last few years, and that's uh, the movie with uh, Viggo Mortensen, The Green Book. You've, you, have you seen yeah, that movie? Yeah, that's one. I don't think of it as Christmas. It ends at a, in the, at a yeah. Christmas scene, and I you're, just you're think right. about yeah. it. Yep. It's got a good message, too. All right, so that's it.